All right. Welcome to the world according to J Caps. I am, of course, J Caps, and I'm here with Melissa Brizuela. Did I say the last name right? Perfect. Amazing. Melissa Brizuela is a writer, also a cook. That's pretty much what I know about you so far. But we did meet like five years ago. No, 2019, the first time that I was here. Is that 2019? I put I put it to be 17 in my head, but 2019. Yes, it was the one and only time we've ever met. <laughs> this is true. Yes. At that epic comedy show in Brooklyn. Hell yeah. In Bushwick. And shout out Chris Carr for always putting together the most unique events in New York. An, an undis- like a sort of unknown gem in the city, you really. Know, that was actually my first time coming to New York. So what a time it was. I can imagine. Because <laughs> like, okay, so just before this, uh, Melissa and I were walking around the, the Frick collection at the Frick Madison looking at all these old-timey works. But from what I, from what our conversation, I ascertained that you sort of hop around the, the whole entire world and you stay with, like, whenever you go, you stay with, like, 15 different friends. Like, sort of... So I can't imagine what when the last time you were here, you probably were just popping around doing all different things. You, you make my life definitely sound more dramatic. It sounds. Than it, is. it does sound <laughs> it's, dramatic, It's truly to be honest. not as epic as that. Okay. But um, I have been to Brooklyn now, or to New York, this is maybe my fourth or fifth time. I was here twice last year. Um, and I, for years, refused actually to come to New York because I'm from Toronto. Okay. And I'm like, why would I want to go to a bigger city that's probably louder, probably dirtier, where I don't know anyone? Interesting. And so I came in summer 2019 because a cousin of mine was had moved out to California when we were kids. And so I hadn't seen her for decades and she was going to be in this area. And we're like, let's meet up. We haven't seen each other since we were like five years old. And did that person know? Cause like the, the, the scene that you, uh, that, that show was in, I feel like not everybody knows that world. That's a very particular like world, you know? So like, how did you, that, that, that person? It's, no, no. It's cause I met Chris earlier that day or, or like the day before. So <laughs> <laughs> really shout out to Chris big yeah. time. Um, it was through, do you know the platform artery? I don't know. Yes. I miss artery. So I came in, so I knew I was coming to see my cousin and then there was an artist based in Montreal named Lee Fallebeck, a musician. And I saw that he was doing a show in Brooklyn. I was like, Oh, I'll just book my ticket a day early. Come see that concert. But I got here so early in the day. I was like, I don't know anyone here. I'm just going to wander the streets of New York. And so I looked up artery and there was a gathering where people were coming together in someone's backyard to play or to assemble puzzles. I was like, I'll do that. That sounds pretty low key and not dangerous. Right. <laughs> so I went to do that before we went in the concert and I met Chris and I was just chatting to him and he's like, Hey, what are you doing later? What are you doing tomorrow? I was like, I, yes. I haven't figured it out yet. I don't know. He's like, come out to the show. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. I mean, like the, be- the uh, pr- always promoting, always having an itinerary of shows. He's like, I got to get somebody in the house. But but truly, you tell you tell someone there's going to be 50 comics over three floors of this random artist house in Bushwick. Like, yes. How do you say no to that? Totally. Yeah. So that's yes. when we first met. You were yeah. you were doing stand up at that time. I was doing stand up, yeah. There was a big interruption, like the yeah. neighbors over the fence is what I remember. That's all that was my whole entire set of just yelling <laughs> of just very whitely yelling at the noise. <laughs> that really and it was actually fun. Because the because the set wasn't working over the music. <laughs> There was a like across the 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 fence. There was a the con, like some other concert, another much cooler house concert going on, and we were couldn't do our stupid comedy. I just remember you, and I don't know if this is true, but I remember you sort of standing up on a bench yeah. or something, like yelling into yeah, the just ether, yelling at them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Cool. Yes. Well, I'm glad that that was that was made it worth it to stay in touch all these years now. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you also make this sound way more random than it is because like you had grading animals and I loved that. Or well, I mean, I don't know how yeah, long no, you had that. I, but no, right. I guess I must have had it at that time in 2019. Probably. Yeah. I just probably started it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've also interacted yes, before then. It wasn't, it wasn't online, just like yes. all like four years have gone for by sure. and suddenly we're here it's recording. four years already. That's wild. Right? That is terrifying yeah. that we're already in 2023. And, and if you think back 100 years, it was 1923, where the era of the illustrator J.C. Leyendecker. <laughs> of course, the year 2023 brings to mind the great illustrator J.C. Leyendecker, who was also gay at that time. Which was pretty pro- progressive in the twenties. At that time, as that in time. That they're they're no longer. <laughs> at that time, he at that time he was, which was right. really like not not a lot of people were doing that publicly. Mm. But he was so popular as an illustrator that he would he was like calling his shots. What would what would we know this illustrator by? Like oh what artwork? Well, I, the name's not. Do familiar. you know the guy uh, Norman Rockwell? Mm-hmm. Well, Norman Rockwell ripped his whole style off of the. At the time, oh. so so Norman Rockwell's like oeuvre, oeuvre, right, is sort of just a, if you look, once you see the artist, you'll be like, oh, I've actually seen this all over the place all, all the time because it's like sort of like that classic illustration style. But he, in, he invented that and then set the standard and then Norman Rock, Rockwell sort of like made it uh, like even more mainstream. So why is that artist not as well known as Rockwell? I think because we are in 2023. And as we progress further into the future, the great people of the past will be forgotten. As we have, as we witnessed today at the Frick, where there was these incredible artists, we couldn't. They, we, I was like, "Is that an Andre? Is that a Rembrandt? I don't even know. Nobody knows anymore." It's true, and and I just have to pause here to say that every time you say the Frick, it sounds like you're censoring yourself. But I know that's actually what the that, museum is called. You know what? Maybe the best discovery of the show so far. Frick this title of episode. Frick that. This freaking, oh my goodness, that reminds me. I have this student who loves sharks, and he just discovered, he's a 15-year-old kid, and he's like, yeah, man, like, that's, he t- he's like, yahoo, that's his vibe. He's like a human golden retriever, mm-hmm. and he's like, just out of nowhere, he was like, see you later, Mr. Goblin, shark you later, and, <laughs> and I was like, we are now we're talking now you put gas in the engine now we're going now we're off so then from there i was like he he was like is it okay if my character says shark this like fuck this i'm like that's called getting away with it right yeah <laughs> that's called getting away with it. it's totally legal and I, and I was like almost gonna be like and i'll show you this advanced maneuver where you call somebody a mother sharker <laughs> Did it blow their mind? No, I didn't do that. I was uh, a good teacher okay. for once. I really tread the line. You know, can't do crazy stuff. All but right. frick that. Yeah. Frick all that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The frick. The frick Did they frick. know it? So it was in the, the, when the family, the frick, were actually the fucks. <laughs> and then we've whitewashed history. We can't say that. Censorship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This guy has the best frickin' collection of all time. The fricks. Yeah. Wow. We should know more about the fricks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, yes, that's J.C. Leyendecker. That's where I... 1923, 2023. This is going to be a lot of obscure references that we'll 
pick apart together, I think. No, no, actually, no. I'm gonna. I, I'm having you on a guest not to observe stupidity, but to <laughs> to share, uh, you know, to share your life, you know. So so tell us, tell us about what you're up to. So this year is an adventure year for me. I'm I've taken the whole year off my day job, and I'm focusing on writing. I'm focusing on. I've set two intentions for myself really, and the first intention is to build a deeper connection with self, and the second intention is to build a deeper connection with existing relations. So that means basically if I met that person before the end of 2022, that they count as an existing relation, no matter how loose or how close knit that friendship was. So happy to be here with you to catch up in person. Definitely. Definitely. Well, we tried to meet up last time I was here in November. And I got COVID. You were ill. Yeah. So I was pretty cool because I finally got, I was like late to the party, Mm. but if I had gotten COVID earlier, might've died. So I got that later on third generation, third gen, fourth gen COVID. Not as bad, but has better, like, a camera in the back or something like that. Well, as someone who is has the, had the full series of vaccinations and has also had COVID three times, it doesn't Damn. it doesn't necessarily. We got to end co- this podcast right now. Yeah. I got to get out of this room. <laughs> it doesn't get cooler the the more you get it. Yeah. It actually got worse for me every time. The first two times was basically no symptoms. The third time I was laid out. So yeah, that sucks. That. It's it's good to be late to the party sometimes. Is yes. what I'm saying. I didn't want to get COVID. I never actually wanted the pandemic to end. I wanted to be in lockdown for the rest of my life. Hot take. It was the best. <laughs> That's a hot take. Let, yeah. let, let's hear more about that. Yeah, I just was like, this is awesome. I turns out I don't ever want to go outside. I just want to perpetually like be on unemployment, go and walk for hours in the park, make my little grading animals show. And just like live in this fucking fantasy ecosystem of going on the internet every day and then like being totally alone. So tell me you're an artist and an introvert without telling me you're that an oh. artist and an introvert, right? Yeah, like right. in the Venn diagram of all of the things, I think that's Absolutely. what you've just demonstrated. It's weird because like it is tough to get to get up. A lot of being like a, like a creative person is meaning you have to like go spend, you know, 20 hours a week at a bar. You know what I mean? In invariably of whatever art you make, right? And I hated that shit. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, not having a prescribed schedule right now, I'm also having to figure out how to build my time. Like how how to write slash toil in isolation and still feel like I have community. Oh wow. Yeah, I don't know. Are you like um a person that has a good like self discipline? No. Oh, that's the easy answer. No, but I find that actually being in community helps me. So I have uh, some folks that I meet every Monday morning at 6am online for our writing sprint. And through that, I've made another friend and he and I meet once a week, usually in the latter half of the week, and we share works in progress. It's a bit of an accountability buddy, but it's also just turned into a friendship. Um, And as I was telling you, on the way over here, I'm also working on a, a full-length memoir project. And so part of my accountability there is that I'm reading excerpts of my story to the folks that are in this memoir. So that's that's a pretty special experience. Yeah, the memoir sounds great. You were telling me about it, and I thought that it was like you really... I mean, you. I, I think that you have a good thesis, and I feel like you're, fur, you're further along with it that like you're able to from the sound of it, like uh, it's be, it's getting filled and like expanding in, in the areas and like parts are not connected, but like you're like the parts that you're doing feel like sound like they're flourishing in their own sort of um, 
you know, when you get a bunch of ideas and they're percolating. Yeah. So it's a hybrid memoir. Like I was telling you that this idea came about after my best friend died in 2017. And so um, I wanted to still write and honor that friendship. So the memoir itself is part methodology about what I'm calling modular meal prep. And then the other part is really stories about love and friendship and the lessons that I learned through grief while cooking within four friends in three different cities. So Toronto, New York City, and Tallinn, Estonia. Cool. And also that opens up a thing where you're a cook. That's, I don't think you mentioned that yet. It, uh, yeah. You mentioned I'm, that on the show, on this show. No, it's, I mean, I... Well, you like to cook and it's part I, of your... I love cooking. Yeah. Yeah. It's, for me, cooking is, is a shortcut to social connection, right? So I don't play music. I don't, um, I, I think of all of the other ways that we can connect en masse with people, right? And I think food is a great equalizer in that way. Um, so it's funny because I often say that sometimes I know people's food preferences before I know what they actually do for a job. So like I might know someone's allergies. I might know their aversions. I might know their preferences um, because pre-pandemic times, I would invite near strangers into my home and prepare a meal with them wow. or offer to go into their home and discover what was in their kitchen and hack their kitchen, right? It's like, what have you got that needs to be used up? What's that thing in the back of your cupboard that you don't want to throw out? It's not gone bad, but you don't know how to do it. Like I know how to use it. Or what's an ingredient that you routinely use, but want a new way to use this ingredient, right? And so I think really like my whole life I've been training in, mo- in what I'm calling modular meal prep. Um, so I'm not a professional cook. I'm not a cook by training. Neither am I a writer by training. So a a lot of these things I'm discovering and I think owning these identities in later life. And that's also what this year is about for me. So when I, you know, when I think about why am I writing this memoir? Yes, it is, uh, you know, it is a testament to like building adult friendships, but I think it's also writing myself into existence. So, you know, when we set intentions, I think sometimes we set an intention as a, as a goalpost to get to it. And then sometimes we also look back on our lives and rewrite the story of who we are. But I feel like the act of writing this memoir puts me in three time spaces all at once because I tend to be an anxious person, which means I'm concerned about the future, but I'm also concerned about the past. I'm an overthinker. So I'm caught in the sleep of past and future. But then slowing down and writing this memoir is actually being able to distill the things that are important. And it's like it's setting intention, but it's also discovering who I am and writing about who I am and who I want to be through the ways in which these friendships have shaped me. That is great. If I had my applause button, I would hit the applause (laughs) button. Yeah, that sounded great, you know? But one thing I'm curious about is like, when did you get into just going into random people's houses and being like, let me look through your kitchen? That seems like a very... As as you said that you're an anxious person, that's a very interesting. How does that like? When was the first time you did that? It was just, all just friends, or you really did genuinely just be like, "All right, well, let's see what's going on in your kitchen." Oh, I mean, so they were friends and acquaintances, and I would I would do the same. I would invite people home into my home to do the same. Um, I traveled to LA in. 2019 at the end of 2019 and I met someone through couch surfing I didn't go into his home but we did do this exercise verbally over dinner so we sort of hacked his kitchen um yeah I I don't know I feel like I this is just how I think I've navigated food for myself right like I grew up around frugality and then there was a period of time in my early 20s or late teens where I decided that I wasn't gonna eat red meat anymore And so that meant having to 
reframe all of the home food that I understood. So I have essentially been doing this for myself for a long time. And then I discovered that a lot of friends um, feel intimidated by cooking, mm. right? So I, I have a whole book case, like four or five levels, dedicated to cookbooks and books about food, but I actually don't use them in the way that they're intended. Um, and I find that most cookbooks are very intimidating and people will try to follow these recipes and they don't know how to go off course. But for me, I always go off course. It's like, I, I look at the ingredient listing, I look at the method and then I, for me, it's like, it's just really intuitive. It's like, I can taste the flavors in my head, even though I've never actually tasted that combination of flavors. And so I feel this the same way, like we were talking at the Frick that, um, because I'm not a visual artist, it's, it's like magic when someone creates a painting or a sculpture, like how do you take this thing that's in your brain and then translate it into a physical object in the world? I do that with food. Absolutely. It sounds like you're like a jazz, you're like a food jazz musician. <laughs> you kind of just like riff. You're like riffing out. That's it's cool. food improv. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Past, present and future. You know, I have this like speaking of improv, I think like one of the things that uh, I loved about the ethos of it was this idea of like you follow the fear mm. like the uh, and when you're talking about like writing yourself into existence. You know, it's like you're you're just following what is exciting and uh, and it is kind of probably a little bit intimidating or scary to like put to like commit to something. I feel like in my um, like even now, like f after let's say like grading animals is like kind of a like over in my head, mm. like thinking about starting something new that is uh, that will be like a creative thing that would be like defining or whatever. Like I am like scared of that idea because I know like it's daunting. I think, Oh my goodness. Well, I know that I want to like apply myself in this kind of like intense way, but I'm like, I can't just jump into something where it's not, it doesn't feel, but there is a fear there. Like, so I don't know. It's like, I definitely hear where you, I like, you know, when you were talking about that, I was like, Oh, well that feels like, like every creative person that like, is in the middle of, of a, a project that feels like overwhelming or like maybe it's like I have to feel like I can swim to the other side of this long pool and it's like there's so many things that could go wrong in it like you're kind of keeping you're keeping like a, a like a balloon up you know and you keep hitting it and like you know the, it, it goes all over the room or something like that you know what that made me just think of it made me think of how Sometimes when you don't know how big in scope a project is, it feels less scary. And I feel like children operate in this realm, right? They just have an idea. They think it's cool. They just, they do it. And then sometimes I marvel at people that are like that. And I, that's the spirit that I want to take into every creative project. So when you were talking about, um, you know, like grading animals sort of being done in, in whatever form it is now and wanting to apply it to something else, it's, it's I just see it as all training. Like everything that you've done at this moment has led you to the point that we're at. And I think it's when we can start to dismantle the internalized fear that this capitalist society puts in all of us, that everything has to be for a quote unquote purpose or a commodified purpose. Then when we can just ease into the joy of the exploration, it becomes really freeing. Yeah, I think, it. well, you know, I think that Outside of that, I think the your the per, like a person's hope for maybe like the price of creating something is 
time like out of your life and it's also like you know money to like be able to do it and then it's like the the audience or you know whether the success slash failure could also be like well if i put you know 40 hours a week into making something and nobody sees it or validates it or like then therefore could like pay for its existence then i'm like pouring my like how many times will i pour myself out to get nothing in return or like at what point like are you romantic or are you pro- pragmatic you know what i mean like we want to conserve our energy and you know put it towards places where we're going to receive something back or like purely throw ourselves into the passion of it and then you know like it's the like the starving artist or any type of you know imagery like that where it's like you know uh, or jazz musician, right? Like, or it's like strung out on hair. It's like, cause they, cause they're just purely for the passion. And like, you, you know, um, you tend to protect yourself like sometimes, like, you know, it's like you, you don't want to like, um, you know, there's, it's like not only that the, let's say the capitalist thing, but like your own hope for expectation can like either kill the thing, but also the hope toward a thing can drive you know, a pursuit and being like, well, I see like, listen, a lot of young people like I teach, they all have dreams of being a thing. They don't even know what the thing is. Like they'll still throw a word out there like, oh, I want to do motion graphics or I want to be in animation. Tons of kids say that and they don't know what it actually is. They just know they want to channel the energy inside of them to a thing that like makes them you know, like, and what you say is like, if we can cut all that out and then just tell them, oh, you're good enough to just be what you are already, but no one's going to actually believe that. <laughs> I I have to believe that there are people out there in the world that do believe that. And I feel like we know them, but yeah. it's, it's not, it's not necessarily a fun or easy thing to understand. I think that's also part of the work that I'm doing right now, right? Like everything all of the choices that I get to make right now on this year off, the consequences are only for myself. Like I'm accountable for my own time. And I think about what do I want to be, you know, and as someone who writes and hasn't been published yet, the, I, I definitely go through these periods of, am I good enough as a writer? What does it mean? What, what kind of credentials do I need? If I don't have an MFA in creative writing, or if I don't have a long list of publications, like, can I still call myself a writer? Can I still call myself a poet? And all of my friends that have the things that I don't yet have say yes. Yes, because you can give yourself that title. And yes, because you do the thing. And I've also given people, uh, you know, similar, I don't, I don't want to call it, it's not advice, but I've, I've shared a similar sentiment to someone. Like he told me that he used to be a filmmaker and, a, and you know, he has a job related to film. But I say, well, you've made films. You're just not making them actively in this moment. So it doesn't mean that you cease to be a filmmaker, just like we always occupy multiple identities, just like a parent never ceases to be a parent, even though you're not actively doing something with your child in that moment, you can still have an identity. And I feel like, um, you know, what we're talking about being good enough, we don't always have to put the measuring stick against it. We just need to know. I think the, the challenge that many of us have is that we don't we haven't internalized it so much that we know how ingrained the good enough in, in each of us is. Frick. 
No, you know, it's I, that the fighting against yourself and fighting against the like, um, I think of it as, you know, we have a critical eye. Well, I mean, like, so you like an artist has a critical eye of their own work. And that's like how they can mark their own progress. Like, you know, I will not accept certain lines that I make because like I know that I can make a sh like a more precise line. Right. Or whatever. You know, a, a guitarist is going to practice until like their hands are as dexterous to like realize the chords, whatever. Um, so like that engine is always working inside of a like a creative person's mind. Maybe maybe other there are other type of creative people who are just totally indulgent and they're just like love everything they do. But I don't necessarily think that that is going to yield that's maybe going to be tend toward like a narcissistic like area. But I think what happens is, um, and I think when you were describing the filmmaker, that's like, that's like a thing I really, I really live in that. Like I, I'm like the, the second I stop doing something, I like it, like the glory evaporates and like, I am like, I'm not that thing anymore, you know? Oh, yeah. So, but I think what that is in your head is that, is that critical mind is that critical mind with nothing to scrutinize and then it like starts to scrutinize just yourself, you know, with, you know what I'm saying? I do, but, but I'm also, it's scrutinizing the self in a, with a very particular lens. It's almost to me is as if you're not allowing yourself to rest. Yes, that that's true. I think like this, you know, like you're taking this year off and you're having, you're like in, um, investing in your creativity and like letting it, uh, come to you also, you know, like kind of, I think like you're traveling around is part of it. So it like mm -hmm. has this active aspect. Um, it's weird. Like since I've started teaching, um, I, I feel like I'm letting go of like the, the, like the way, the way I've been living for the last few years, which is like just pushing myself you know, I had my grading animals thing and then I also had this web series and like kind of both of them are not going to happen. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, now my life is in a different, like it's just all the parameters are different. And I feel like, well, I'm just going to be a teacher right now and put my energy into that. And if it, and, and whatever it is will come. But I do feel like I'm in this weird limbo of not like, you know, like I feel like I died and the things that I were, what that I was, are a thing of the past. And now I'm just like, you know, not, you know, it's a very weird thing. Like it's that, you know, so that's a, uh, I don't know how, I don't think that it's, I think it's just something that life is, you know, you, you, you live through the, you live through these like transformations, you know? Of course. I'd like to offer a reframe on something you just said. You said, I'm just going to be a teacher for now. I would repeat that and just take out the word just. As if to suggest that being a teacher is not enough. It's, it means the world, I'm sure, to your students. And I'm sure that for you, like the way you spoke about what teaching gives you in this moment in your life, it sounds like it gives so much. And so I, I offer the reframe to remove the word just because, again, it's, it's always looking to something else that exists outside of that thing that is already so important. You are good enough. You are a teacher. You are a teacher right now. You may stop this career at a later point and decide that's not what you need to be doing anymore. But I think these like little subtle ways in which we talk to ourselves um, really informs the way that we feel over time. 
Absolutely. I think that's pretty great. It's pretty great. I'm very bad at that. Like my favorite thing is to be either vicious to myself or someone else. Mm. You know, I'm a viper. I'm a, actually, that's why I really identify with like Scorpio astrology shit. Cause I'm like, hell yeah, that's me all the way. Wait, is that actually your sign? Yeah. Okay. I don't know much about this. kind no, of No, but stuff, like but... every time I've ever read it in the newspaper, I'm just like, yeah, that sounds like something I would do. Yeah. <laughs> but do you read the other ones to see if they also apply to you? Cause I feel like they can be. You really think so? Too. I don't know. I have, I have like looked at the Scorpio ones. I'm like, yo, this guy sounds pretty cool. I'm going to, I agree. I like that. See, you've got it in you. You've got it in you to feel like you're good enough. If you feel like you're cool <laughs> enough when you read your horoscope. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's funny. Like, uh, like I do love, love teaching and being around the kids. Like, um, one thing that's cool about it is, you know, an artist can self scrutinize and be very viciously like my, my, I, I can be brutal with myself and I often am, but then it's like, you're around young people who just don't, who, who are young, so young that like, they've never even got on the path. Or the, the basic things are a- alien to them. So it's like if you show somebody something that you think is so elementary and it's like you're giving you're like putting your hand down so like somebody can use your hand as a step. Mm-hmm. And it's like that is a valuable thing. And you're like, oh, man, I I can like I'm like I'm helping somebody on the path. And it's not like that's why I really find it to be. Like, like, like it's opening my heart because, you know, they are just the beginners. And, you know, then I think all the way back from the years that I, that I have, when I started anything and you're like, man, um, it's a long way. It's a long path to, to go wherever you're going. And like, you need, it's really, you know, I can be somebody who's like, don't be, I can be, I can say the nice things that I would never say to myself to these young people. And it's like ironic. Uh, so many of us are like that though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need to turn that compassion onto ourselves as well. Well, there's a, there's, there was a little bit of dead air in that <laughs> moment, a little bit of reflective dead air, but I do want, I don't want to, I feel like I'll like every episode will just be like my own navel gazing, mm-hmm. which is really what this pod, unfortunately what this podcast turns out to be. So no, so you're so tell us more about like so you're um like what is like the rest of the year and all this like your creative dreams like pour it out like yeah. Honestly, the rest of the year is unplanned. It's unplanned after the end of June. I want to go back to what you said though. I just honed in on you saying dead air because I'm really fascinated I think with grief and death. And just even that phrase dead air and the suggestion that it's Uncomfortable. I, I mean, I guess maybe in the context of an audio recording. It's we should just have some dead air for the next five <laughs> minutes, see how it goes. That would be a real experiment. Mm. We might lose like three of the five listeners of this show. <laughs> <laughs> but truly like this, you know, I think the, it's not even necessarily a fear, but I think death in our culture tends to be something that we tend to shy away from. Right. So even the phrase dead air, I mean, I don't Mm. know where it actually comes from, but the suggestion that dead air is so uncomfortable, we can't talk about death. We can't speak of death. We can't feel death. And I think also death is regeneration. Right. And it's part of anyone's artistic process. And it's you talked earlier of 
um, you know, having pivoted so many different times in your creative aspect, in your creative life. And so one can also see those as deaths, but also regenerative. And it propelled you into a different phase or a different version of self. So I, yeah, that's what came to mind. I, I really, I'm also trying to reframe what death means and what grief means because you know, as joyful as the memoir that I'm writing might sound when I talk about it, it is rooted in grief, right? It, it came about as a project because after my friend died, I couldn't, she was no longer here. We couldn't write the cookbook that we wanted to write. And so I actually started writing, I think in 2018 and just was too close to her death because she died in 2017. So I put it aside for a while. I started at the beginning of March, 2020, believe it or not. I was like, I'm going to write every Monday night while my friend does his live stream. So it's two hours. It's called Music to Draw To. And I was like, this is the perfect time. If I only ever write for two hours a week, then I will eventually get this project done. March 2020. <laughs> March 13th, 2020, everything shut down in Toronto. And I was like, oh, I can't grieve the pandemic and grieve my friend and work on something generative and creative. And so I started to get distracted again by writing poetry. And that's, um, you know, I, you know, I often talk about the gifts buried within grief and that's one of the gifts that is that I've started to sometimes go to open mics. I did a, uh, I did my first performance at a festival last year as a spoken word artist, and I would never have imagined that for myself. So I do consider myself a person who can be shy. I'm very introverted and I'm very uncomfortable in the spotlight as it were, but had you told me even four years ago that I would be willingly getting up on stages. Like the very first open mic I did was in September of 2021. And I just went on a whim. I didn't even tell any of my friends to come. I just went, I knew nobody else in the space. I was like, I'm going to get up on this stage and read a poem that I wrote. And I don't know if it's good. I think it's good enough. I don't know how to present it. And, and there we were. And then, you know, not a year later I was, doing performances. I think it's a little bit unusual. To, uh, again, I'm making my life sound more no, no. fantastic than it is. But what I'm saying is that if I didn't allow myself to experience grief and to like uh, sit with death, like different forms of death and just feel it within myself, then I don't think that I would have created these opportunities for myself. Totally. Um, when, how, like, it's a couple of things maybe I thought of. One thing, do you remember the the do you remember the grading animals poster the poster there's like a it's like a bunch of animals fucking each other and killing each other no i don't even know if i've seen it yeah well this kid who uh who drew it for for me he died oh just and i and i talked about it last week so when you were talking about death and i was like oh yeah like it at last last week i was i spent like a lot of the episode talking about this because it was it was like really um you know it was like it really shocked me because this guy was 31 years old he was like you know and he overdosed you know it's like a, it's like really sad it's like tragic and senseless and you know um and it also like you know closes it closes a chapter because i was like hoping to do more things with that person and it's just weird and it's like i definitely i know that like even when i talked about it last week i was like ang i was like angry about it i was like making i was like like I was like joking, like, you know, but it's like, I think that it's like, I found out like the day before I found out the day before. And like, so like processing grief, like 
even just not this is a person who I like I during the pandemic would would talk all the time and like I was like living in that world so um yeah like that like the the way you deal like deal with grief is a it's abstract like it's not like I was like like last week on the show I was like you know this is so fucking stupid like you should have not have done coke with fentanyl in it you know what I mean like that's stupid of you you know um and then I thought, like, are you, uh, do you do, like, what, like, are you get into, like, a, like, I need to do a bunch of open mics. And, like, you get into, like, like sort of, like, because um, I feel, like, like, obsessive with it. Do you get, like, obsessive, like, oh, I got I to gotta get up on stage. Or I got to, I got to, like, make sure I hit, like, two open mics this week. Otherwise, like, I, ha- I haven't hit my open mic quota. Like, or are you much more be- better balanced with it? I'm pretty erratic, but also I'm so sorry that you lost this person in your life. That's, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's I wasn't like it's. I I only had met him one time in person. Very similar to us, you know. Oh <laughs> no, to him online. This, this is not an omen. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, no. It was thank you. It was it was sad. Um, it was sad, and it was it was uh, shocking. You know, it's this world, this world. And the weird thing is, I thought of that. You know, the in the wake of like having a purpose of like, we want to do something with your life and you want to like, like we're talking about our hopes, our dreams and like trying to fit our life into like what we want to do and what we hope to do. And then just all the reject, the rejection, the negativity, the hopelessness that's like all around us all the time. And I don't know. I feel like, like this kid, um, he could have just, but I, I know that like he was trying to do something creative and it wasn't working out as it, as it often doesn't work out for everybody, you know, mm-hmm. who wants to do anything, you know? And, um, I think that like, it's a, it's what the world is like dealing with, like looking for things to, uh, divert our attention or like say that it's not happening. Like everything from the pandemic to like, just like the, the phone that like helps push you know you into like some type of psychosis about how you look at the rest of the world right and then um just everything just everything um i feel like it's tough and i wonder that while it's an accident it's not also like his death is like an accident but it's also like some type of uh symptom of how hopeless things are and that like if you are a creative hopeful there's not a lot of opportunity and um it's it's sort of cutthroat and it's like uh i don't know like i i got the sense you know his friend uh reached out to me and was like oh he was so excited about doing this thing with you like you know like doing the poster and we had done a couple other things and i was thinking like well i capitulated and i couldn't even do my thing like i like I had this aim and I fell apart and it's like, wh- how, what, what does it feel like to a person who's like looking at me? Like I'm actually something like, Oh, like, Oh, I'm so glad that I worked, did something with me. And it's like, my thing failed. And it's like, you, it's like, like, it's like that. I like, I hope that that didn't contribute to his hopelessness, you know, in a, in a minor way, because like his friend reached out to me and wrote me a thing of like, oh yeah, like he was so happy to be excited to have done this. I'm like, shit, that's like, 
<laughs> not that not that I'm saying like uh, like it's pr- but but I do think that I have an empathy for like the lost creative soul in the world, you know? Sure, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking back to something you said earlier when you were talking about everything costs something. And so I also think about the cost of the burden of not just creating the thing that we want to create regardless of who's going to accept it. And, and yeah, that's what it made me think of, you know, there, there is an opportunity cost. Of course it, it costs us time to spend working on our art, but also the time that we think about working on our art, but we're not doing our art is also a cost. And so it just keep thinking about how maybe sometimes we ought to just shift where we put the emphasis on what the cost actually means to us. Absolutely. It's all easier said than done. Of course. You know, a friend after the first month of my leave of absence, she asked me, she's like, what have you done? Give me an update. Like, you know, 30 things in 30 days. And I messaged her back and I was like, no, I'm living this life for myself, but also it's not glamorous, right? Like you don't see the hours that I spend just sitting at my desk, like feeling like that last sentence I wrote wasn't good enough or the the amount of time that I spend distracting myself or the amount of time I spend crying in my apartment, right? Like these are not the things that people want to hear. We want to hear the great stories of, oh, I got published or, oh, you know, I did this thing and someone recognized it. That's not what creating art is. And that's not why I create art. I think for me, the, you know, I think I really leaned into my writing during the pandemic because I couldn't have people over anymore to make meals with them. And it was a, an easy way to be socially distanced. There were a lot of online classes and I did a lot of workshops where it was generative and that we would share and only affirm. We wouldn't critique necessarily. And so it felt like, yeah, everyone's just at their own level and you don't always necessarily know where people are at. And it's sometimes it's just wonderful to be in a space where you're just acknowledged that doing a thing was enough. Doing a thing because you cared about it is enough. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I know. I'm, I, it's not something that, that is a natural, that's natural for me. You know, I think that, you know, it's, I, I definitely tend to be, uh, just a scrutinizer. Oh, same. I say like, honestly, I feel like one of my skills that I honed as a child was observation and not participation. And so these stories and these things that I'm telling you now are things that I have to tell myself to get over. Yeah. I think like we were talking about, uh, when we were, when we were at the Frick about like, um, you know, like sort of like, uh, an idea of what people are and how the world operates. And then like, a kind of utopian projection of how I think sometimes after you've been through some stuff and you can like let go of like what you want and like you're a little more balanced, you can think like, oh, well, how come I haven't been living like this all the time? Whereas like, you know, um, like never like even with my with teaching now, like I'm enjoying it. I'm like, I can see me doing this just because of like the benefit of that, of what it's giving me. But I don't think that like, I would have ever know I wouldn't have had that feeling if I hadn't like, like emotionally crashed in some other way and then been like, well, I can't keep going. Like I can't keep driving into this wall. I have to like let go of the car that maybe is like ego 
and then being like, I'm in a different stage, you know, where it's like now I can say, like, have a, a thing of like, yeah, like just doing the thing. And it's like, this is like, we're like it, all you all you kids are good because you're all doing the thing. But I can also walk by each of their papers and like nitpick and then fucking skewer every single one of them. <laughs> right. You know, you brought up balance and I, I'm i so curious to know what is your relationship to balance in your life? Oh, I mean, absolutely no balance. Like I, you were at like at my apartment, I don't have a space to sit and enjoy myself. Like I don't have one. I just like have like it's like set up for work. It's an imposing set up for I should be working on my craft because I have this amount of time in my life. That's what I really think. And then I sleep. Okay. Uh, so it's like, that's something that I definitely, um, you know, and who, and who knows why I think like they're uh, living in Long Island. Um, I've always lived in the shadow of the city and I've never been able to like afford to live in the city or like at least if I was going to afford to live in the city, I didn't want to like say, all right, well, I'm going to live like in some type of squalor arrangement because you know what I mean? It's like maybe I'm too pragmatic. I'm not romantic enough to do have done that. I would be I'm a little more pragmatic. I'm like, I need my space. Right. And then it's like, well, if I can't compete in this world, in this thing, but like whatever it is, call it class, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, then I have to be like better. If I, I have to, I have to like be this good to like fight in the fight. And then I'm like, well, if I have to be this good to fight in the fight, then I better like become like a, like a warrior. Right. And I think that is a mindset that I've totally like lived for too long. So your home being a place where it's only meant for work, are you not just replicating the thing that you're avoiding by being in the city, like that, that environment of always needing to hustle. You know, it's an interesting thing. Like, uh, I think it's like a cultural, I think this is a, I think this is a, a symptom that our entire culture has gone through of, um, like it's a weird, it's a weird like phase that I think our society has gone through. I don't think it's just me, but there was like a real, um, there was a real attitude in our culture to like be some type of entrepreneur or like make your own thing or like the promise of the internet or the promise of that there's no gatekeepers or whatever it was that like you could do it and you could make something happen like on your own. And all it took was for you to work harder than the next guy, you know? And also like, if you look at like these, like we were just at the museum, like unfortunately, like the, whether you'd compete or not, the world is competing with each other. And the world is like, when I went to SVA, like my undergraduate school, I was like James Jean, the famous artist now, James Jean, the guy who painted the painting for everything, everywhere, all at once okay. was to my right. And to my left was John Guido, who's like, George covers for Marvel and and at that time I sucked. You know what I mean like and it was like they were really 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 good already and it's like you know it's like what am I even here for you know it's like it is a competition it is you know the way people get up and they work and then like this whole world is like arch like an architecture of like work and building and consuming and we're just ants. We're like ants that are just you know like we don't even know what 
the fuck we're doing, but it, we're just like to- toiling and you know perpetually. But it's also the the way that we measure value, because even the way you spoke of these artists is that you know the that they're known, I guess, for their art is, yes. is somehow better than any other kind of yeah impact influence or experience that is not measured using the same. You're stick. right. You're right. You nailed it. You're yes. And Detective Brizuela. <laughs> you got I, it. I also wonder though, I wonder how much those folks were able to get out of their own way. Cause I feel like I get in my own way a whole lot. Yeah. Well, the other thing, I think you're right. I mean, I, and I always sort of sometimes try to like backtrack, but you know, there's so many examples of people who have done great things and they hate their life and they are in like bad situations or they kill themselves. Like James Jean, who I just met mentioned, like he had a lot of crazy shit, like his, his actual life. Like I think he, a lot of fucked up things happened. Like he left the country cause he was, I don't know, all types of crazy shit that I'm like, I'm glad I didn't deal with that. Like I'm happy that. You know, um, I have a good relationship with my sister. My sister is, I'm close to my sister and like we've been, you know, best friends since we're like little kids. And um, like, I'm grateful that like I got to have years and years to spend with my sister. You know, um, like I spent, I, I lived with my parents for like, like many years after I graduated and I got to like be with my sister during like her teen years and like I, I'm like when I think back to that I'm like so grateful because like I wouldn't have traded that for I don't know some other thing because like that's a value to me you know so yeah like um you know I think it's just like I sometimes talk a lot of shit you know I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know impact and visibility aren't always equal in the sense of I just think of the students that you're you're teaching right now you may never know like how something you say, something you've said to them or a way that you encourage them will actually influence the rest of their life. And they might not realize it until way after. They might not even attribute it to you. But we can point to a poster that someone made for a movie that, you know, everyone around the world knows. And somehow, you know, in this equation, that's more valuable. Mm. But we don't, we, we won't always know our effects that's on the world. That's true. So that's my reframe for you. Yeah, is to is it's going back really to telling yourself that you are. I think good that what, what I really need to do is like eat, pray, love. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, when I asked you about your relationship to balance, I think what you were saying earlier made me wonder: Do people think of balance like they think of happiness, as in it is a destination rather than something that actually requires a lot of active effort? Because I think of balance as meditation. It's really difficult to do. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that, like, my answer definitely was, like, kind of felt like a, even though it's true, like, I haven't bought a couch yet. (laughs) But, like, I don't think that I'm as, like, workaholic and insane anymore. Because, like, even, like, like, just the fact that I'm doing my, like, this kind of teaching era that I'm in, it's like, I am not, like, I do recognize that like I couldn't push further you know so like I think there is like a like um you know a different uh energy that I feel in terms of balance like you know but I do but I do know that like it's a trap for me like it's not it's not easy and I do like even like with this teaching job I in the first year I had it I started to obsess over like like 
seeing like the kids, the kids all have different problems, like that are psychological problems that like are more than I could. But like, I kind of like became obsessed with like, okay, well, like as if I was going to change more than that could be changed in like, kind of like, oh, like overthinking or like, like just, um, May, turning it into more work or turning it into more like imbalance. Like let me, instead of all this energy that I could spend on a creative thing, let me think for 12 hours about something, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I a hundred percent relate to that. Mm-hmm. So wait, you were trying to do that. You were trying to apply that energy to your students or to yourself? To my students. Yeah. Like there was a kid who, um, uh, she would wear a wig backwards on her face like did not want to be seen wanted people to call call her bug right and i was like i related to this kid because when i was like 15 i also like tried to hide myself mm-hmm. i didn't say it but i was like so this so i was like oh interested into this uh kid and i was like oh i want to help in some way through art mm-hmm. or whatever but you know it's like and it's like you know what i can't because they're going through something that's bigger than me. And it's like, I only see them, you know, it's like I see them at school, you know, I'm not their main teacher or whatever. There's a lot of, there's therapists in school that help these kids also. So it's like, they're, you know, and there's like all these kids with all these different unique, strange things that are happening with them. And it's like, there's, you know, it's out of the, it's out of the realm of anything I could really do. I can just, I can just be myself and give my best. But like, and I'm not going to change, you know, it's like I couldn't just because I want to teach people to draw doesn't mean they're going to learn how to draw, you know, like they're everyone is on a journey. It's day by day. Right. You know what, what I just heard you say, if I can translate yeah. or interpret what you just said is you just told me in your own words that you are good enough when you realize that you couldn't uh, solve this student's problems. You said all you can do is be yourself, which means that's all you can do. And that's sufficient. That is good enough. Mm. Amen. So it's in you. Just just pointing it out so you can file that for later. That's good. So, so I can immediately forget it. <laughs> you can go back to this recording. <laughs> yes, and, absolutely. And be reminded that you told me and I'm just Very uh, rephrasing it for you. So you're going to South by Southwest. I'm going to visit a friend in Austin. Yeah. And it's South by Southwest. I'll only be there for about three days. And then another friend of mine uh, will be performing for the first time at South by Southwest. So I'm excited. That's wild. Yeah. And Chris Carr is going to be there. So let's close that loop. Perfect. Chris Carr really making everything happen. I, I, I didn't do his festival this, this September. I should do it again. I should, he'll, he'll let me in the next, next one. (laughs) I'm still an artist. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Well, anyways, I think that we, uh, I think that we, we, we've, um, is there anything else you want to tell? Just, can people find your work online or anything like that? Um, I mean, my Instagram is answers to five because my nickname is five, like the number F I V E. Okay. Um, and I will preempt the question of why is my nickname a number? Yes. So I went to, a technology detox camp back in 2015. And one of the rules of the camp is no real names. The other rules were no work talk. And 
uh, no personal digital devices. So there was a whole procedure. You check in your cell phones and all of your smart devices. And I chose the name five because for me at the time, it was an aspirational internal age. I think when you're five years old, I think of, you know, you have enough language and autonomy to be curious enough and to be able to communicate with others, but you're un unattached to the way in which the world beats us down as we get older. And so I imagined, you know, if I walk into a room full of strangers and I have to introduce myself, what's something that I want them to know about me? And so I'd be like, hi, I'm five. And so it just immediately brought to mind that sort of like playfulness. And, and, uh, so it's a nickname that stuck and yeah, my Instagram handles answers to five. That's great. I did not know. I had no idea what that bent before but that's pretty great five years old it is great it is a great idea it see it, it does i don't know for some reason five years old does see, like and listen if out there you can think back to when you're five and it and it brings back positive memories then that's really wonderful because you know it's good it's if you can think back to your five to when you're five and like it's not there's not already some type of trauma or something like that then you should be grateful you know, be grateful for that life because yeah, five, I think of five as a wonderful time as well. It's like, you can't, uh, it's, that's wonderful, pure. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Cool. All right. Take care. <laughs>